0: Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. Hi
1: guys, I'm Viv and welcome to my lounge. We actually had our walls painted um, at the end of last year and we haven't really put anything back up on the walls so apologies for it looking a bit bare. We've had another episode in the Covid saga in our household. Um, Abby and Sam, our kids, have both tested uh, positive for Covid at the beginning of the week and uh, Steve and I were negative but Steve's still feeling a bit rough as well. So um, we're bringing you uh, church today from the Cosy isolation of the Bateman home, enjoying lovely family time together and bunkering down even more. And we're properly starting the story of Nehemiah today. So I've asked the wonderful Tomoos if they would record themselves reading Nehemiah chapter 1.
0: Nehemiah 1. Nehemiah's prayer. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, While I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that that had survived the exile and also about Israel. They said to me, those who, who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the
2: God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant is praying before you day and night for the servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you we have not obeyed the commands decrees and laws you have g- gave your servant Moses
0: remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying if you are unfaithful i will scatter you among the nations but if you return to me and obey my commands then even if you are exiled even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon i will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name.
2: They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed. Re- redeemed, redeemed by your great st- strength. strength and your m- I- mighty. And Lord, let your ear be attentive, attentive to the p-
0: prayer for of this this your Lord let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favour in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the King.
1: Thanks so much guys, I so miss seeing your faces regularly. So we talked last week about where Nehemiah fitted into the whole narrative of the Bible and if you haven't had a chance to listen or to watch please visit our YouTube channel or look at the website for the link to the podcast. You can search on the podcast on the Apple Store. So about 140 years prior to the beginning of Nehemiah, in the year 586 BC, the Babylonians, under the rule of the evil king Nebuchadnezzar, attacked the Jewish people and they completely destroyed the city of Jerusalem. They demolished their life and their culture and their temple and their walls. Um, if you've ever heard of Solomon's temple it was just completely gone, it was wiped away, burned to the ground, every building was in rubble, almost everyone that they knew was now without a job and without hope and so the, the Babylonians captured them and took them, thousands, uh, took them miles away from their own hometown and led them into captivity and if you can imagine the Jewish people would have felt demoralised and completely hopeless. They had no homeland, they had no place to worship God. And here they were stuck in captivity for 70 years. And then the Persians attacked and they defeated the Babylonians and they took power in Babylon. And then they issued this decree that that enabled the Jewish exiles to go back to to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. And so about 50,000 Jews moved back to Jerusalem at the time to rebuild the temple and that took over 20 years just because there was a few hiccups along the way and some of the Jews had stayed behind in Babylon so that's where we find Nehemiah and he was born and he was raised in exile and then became a servant to the Persian king and what I love about this story is that Nehemiah was just an ordinary guy that made an extraordinary difference. He wasn't a priest or a prophet or a warrior. He was just an ordinary person that heard about something uh, that broke his heart to a point where he decided he had to do something. Um, he, was just, he, he was just an ordinary guy. He was known as a cupbearer. And he was known as the cupbearer to the king of Persia, King Antaxerxes. So you might say, Viv, what on earth is a cupbearer? And I guess one of the things—it's a bit like a, a servant or a butler in this day and age—but the equivalent of a of a cupbearer was just such a trusted role. Uh, if you can imagine, this guy had um, really close access to the king. He would have heard. And overheard conversations that the king was having, you know, like if um, I think we need to go and attack so and so, the cupbearer would hear that information and then would have to keep that information confidential. And so this guy would have been very trustworthy, he would have been full of integrity and incredibly loyal to the king. And one of the most important things he would do is he would taste the king's wine before he did. So, in that time of, of history, there was always plots to overthrow kingdoms and kill the king and so the cupbearer would um, be the only person to taste the wine before the king did, just to see if the wine was poisoned or not. So, this guy, well, he was just an ordinary person. He wasn't, not in the role of status, but in the role of a servant attending to the needs of the king. So one day, Nehemiah was probably having quite an ordinary kind of day until he hears a conversation from someone that just really moves him. And Nehemiah's heart was drawn to this story, the story of return from exile, the story of the rebuilding of the temple. And his sadness was around this one image that was breaking his heart. And that was the image of God's temple in Jerusalem which is its just the very symbol of the Jewish people, the place where God would meet with human beings, the the place where God's presence dwelt. And he sees it sitting there in his mind's eye, completely undefended, with the walls and the gates having been burnt and destroyed. And that begins to build in him a passion to see the walls of Jerusalem rebuilt so that it can protect the temple and they could protect this place where where God's presence dwelled. And I want to pick out three points from this story that I really think apply to us today, especially today. And I want you to remember these three words from today. And they are cry, pray and act. It's a little bit like eat, pray, love, but totally different. So they are cry, pray and act. So first of all, we find Nehemiah broken and crying over the state of God's city. And I wonder if you might be feeling broken over something at the moment. It feels as though there's so much to grieve over currently, both personally and globally. And I'm not sure this grieving process is something we as Westerners do very well. Sherry Cormier, who's a psychologist specialising in grief, she says this, It's important that we start recognising that we're in the middle of this collective grief. We are all losing something. And I think it's so important at the moment that we name our losses, all of them, and we allow ourselves time to sit with that grief. There, There are huge, huge losses that people are facing at the moment with the loss of their loved ones, but there are also lots of small losses that I think it's really important to name and acknowledge. Give yourself permission to cry, to mourn the fact that you haven't hugged your parents or seen your grandchildren, or that your university life has completely disappeared, or that your wedding was postponed, or that you're living on your own and you're just not seeing many people. I could could literally carry on for hours. But every, everyone, everyone has lost something this season. And this psychologist goes on to say, people often have a vague sense of anxiety or wordless suffering. It really helps to put language to it and name the losses. So it's a really good idea to journal or just name them out loud in some shape or form. Maybe even write a list of all the things that you've lost over this past year. And no matter the the reason you're sad or how small it may seem, know it's okay to grieve and it's important too. Your world will not rebuild until you're able to be real with your pain. Crying over what you're sad about right now, even the smallest things is a, is a is a step towards healing. It's another step towards releasing of control and submission to God and giving him permission to come into those places and begin to heal them. God hears our cries. He knows our broken hearts. Isaiah 61 again speaks into this, and and it says, prophesying of Jesus, that he will come to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And as we name our losses and our grief, I just really believe that God longs to do that for us today. To re-clothe us in garments of praise instead of a spirit of despair. To bring us to a place of hope. There is so much, so much more to say about the subject of, of grief. We really haven't had time to do it justice here. We could probably do a whole sermon series on the subject of grief. But please, please do get in touch if you uh, need more resources or if you need uh, places of support that you uh, need us to point you towards. And then aside from our own personal grief and losses, I wanted to talk about the things that break your heart on a bigger level. The fact that the temple in Jerusalem was undefended broke Nehemiah's heart and it drove him to a place where he just sat down and wept. And you can see this in verse four of Nehemiah one. Nehemiah says this, when I heard these things, when I heard about the devastation, when I heard about the hopelessness of my people, he says, I sat down and wept, it broke his heart. And what's so interesting to me is to think about where Nehemiah was when he heard this news. He He was about a thousand miles away from his homeland. He hadn't even lived there personally. And he was actually living pretty good and comfortable life in the palace and that this guy is probably eating the same kind of food that king eats probably pretty good stuff he's probably watching the same sort of shows as the king is watching on his 4k tv hashtag blessed this guy is living a completely comfortable life and i don't know about you but sometimes uh in my comfort i can be just scrolling across some news story on my phone and I might think, oh gosh, that's really bad. I might even um, say a quick prayer, but I'm just not gonna really let it into my heart. Um, uh, but at that moment, Nehemiah had a choice and he could kind of acknowledge the, the plight of his people. Could, he could kind of think, oh, you know, that's too bad. What a shame, I hate to hear that. Oh, you know, I just feel really badly for them. But But he, or he could choose to let the pain in. And that's just sort of from a place of not just being in his head, but in his heart. And when he heard the news, he made this choice didn't he didn't brush it off. He just sat down and he broke down and he began to cry. And I want to ask this, and this is as much for me as it is for anyone else. What breaks your heart? What is it that burdens you? What is it that creates a sort of righteous anger in you that you just think, oh, I've just got to do something about this? What is it that crushes your spirit, maybe when you look at some kind of injustice to perhaps to a group of people or a need in this world, and it will be completely different things for, for, for everybody. Maybe for you, it's the, the plight of hurting children. Maybe it's for those that are bound by an addiction or they're a hostage to drug or drugs or they're trapped in a world of pornography and you're, you just want to do everything that you can to help them get free. Maybe it's homelessness. Maybe you see people that are really stuck in life and you they like, barely have their needs met and you just want to do something about it. Maybe it's those who have been trafficked and abused their whole life. What is it that breaks your heart? Maybe it's the state of this nation's economy or just the pandemic itself what is it that burdens you? I've had a real thing about youth over the last few years when anyone starts talking about young people and some of the challenges that they face um, today, I just find myself welling up and um, but I, I, uh, the thing that I've noticed about myself is that I find it so easy to distract myself out of that feeling Um, and just sort of move on rather than allowing the grief to come and driving me to pray. And I find this often true for me if I'm being totally honest both with personal grief and with bigger issues too. I just find it very easy to distract myself and rather than just sort of letting myself sit in pain. And so I encourage you to let it in, name it, let it move you, sit down and cry. Let your heart become tender and be broken by the things that break the heart of God. And as you do that, let it move you to pray. The reality is that some of these issues are just so overwhelming and they feel impossible to do anything about. But the God of the universe is there waiting for you. Nehemiah says this for some days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven and then he cries out to God in verses five and six and says Lord the God of heaven the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your, pre- your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants the people of Israel and Nehemiah carries on by confessing his own sins. He confesses the sins of his people and he reminds God of God's promises and God's faithfulness. And with our own personal grief and the grief that we feel for issues around us, let it move us to pray. The all-knowing, all-powerful God responds to our prayers and incredibly works through our prayers. I don't understand it. God of the universe works through our prayers. So pour out your cries and your prayers before him. Confess your sins and remind God of his promises to you. God longs to act and he alone can take impossible situations and turn them around. God, would you move? Would you bring miracles? Would you bring healing? Would you spark revival across this nation? God, would you do something? And this is what we have to do, crying out to God in prayer. Nehemiah knows that God is the only one who can help him rebuild and turns to him before doing anything else. What's so interesting to me about Nehemiah is that this is actually the first of 12 prayers that we see he prayed in the book of Nehemiah. There's 12 we know about and that means he probably would have prayed hundreds, maybe thousands. But this is the first of 12 that are recorded. And we see it at the beginning of the story, we see it at the middle and then the last thing he's doing in the book of Nehemiah is praying and he he's going before God. And what I love about him, and, and you're going to see this in the upcoming weeks, is that he's a leadership genius. He is practical in every way, he studies, he strategizes, he casts vision, he delegates, and yet everything he does is fueled with an intimate, faith-filled prayer before his good God. Over and over again in the Bible, don't we? We see Jesus just retreating on his own and spending time with his father in prayer. And if Jesus needed to do that, gosh, like how much more do we need to do that? And especially at the moment, we're having to endure so many different things. There are so many needs. Every time we turn on the news, my God, would you do something? We have to go to God in prayer. It's the only way that we're going to be able to rebuild is to pray. And so thirdly, after he's mourned and fasted and prayed, he determines to act. So remember, you sit down to cry, you kneel down to pray, and you stand up to act. And he's determined that as he's praying, that he's going to go before the king and ask for permission to do something. And in verse 11, he talks to God about the king and says, Give your servant success today by granting him favour in the presence of this man. And we'll see next week how Nehemiah goes to visit the king, but he's thinking, my people are hurting, the walls are down, the city's exposed, and I can't sit around and do nothing. Someone's got to do something about this. Might as well be me. So he stands up to act. And I feel as though there are are people tuning in today that God is really speaking to. Maybe there's been some issue that's just been in the back of your mind that's been bothering you. Maybe you've tried to keep it at a distance. Can I encourage you to let it in? Feel the pain. Let it wreck you. Sit down and cry about it. And then get on your knees in prayer and pray like you've never prayed before and invoke the power of the God of, of heaven. And then at some point, you're going to have to have the faith and the courage to stand up and act. And you might say, who am I? I'm not a priest or a prophet or a warrior. I'm not trained. I don't have a lot of experience. But can I tell you this? You don't have to be appointed by man if you're appointed by God. You don't have to be chosen by God, by people if God prompts your heart. If he gives you a burden, you just step into it and then you trust. You trust him and watch him act. Feel the presence of God stirring you. And I feel like even now, God is speaking to people. Maybe your heart is just beating really fast and God is popping things into your mind. Even now, things that he's stirring in you. And maybe, maybe like Nehemiah, he's just calling you to step into the problem and start the good work. Nehemiah didn't finish it alone, he didn't do it alone, but it didn't happen until he started it. And so what do you do when you're stirred by something? What do you do when you need to rebuild? remember you sit down and cry you kneel down and pray and you stand up and act and I'm going to hand back to Kristen now who's going to help us think of some practical ways of putting some of these things into practice but as we land God we just ask that by the power of your spirit you would speak to us today stir us to be re- rebuilders today father God Would we let our hearts be broken as we surrender our pain to you? Would you stir us to pray like we've never prayed before? And then Father, would you give each one of us the courage to do something about it? Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.